0: And now flip over to the New Testament, Titus chapter 1, looking at verses 10 through 16. What's always so amazing to me is that we never plan on our Old Testament readings and our New Testament readings correlating. We just read through books of the Bible uh, together uh, during our Old Testament readings, and we preach through the New Testament book of the Bible. But here, we have a very intimate connection existing between Nehemiah 6 and 7 and Titus chapter 1, particularly in verses 10 through 16. For we see uh, Nehemiah not establishing just any man to be the Levites, just any man to be the guards or any person to be the singers, but he is devoted to finding qualified people to meet these roles within the new Jerusalem that's being built In the same way, Paul has said to Titus, you are not to appoint just any man to the office of elder, but he has to meet a robust and exhaustive list of qualifications so that he might lead and lead well. And last week, what we saw is that there is a very clear distinction between this man who leads and leads well, because that distinction now lends to his call to To put forth, we might say, uh, the Word, the trustworthy Word of God as taught so that the elder might give instruction to the people of God and that he might rebuke those who contradict it. Here as we approach verses 10 through 16, we have that last little phrase, rebuking those who contradict it, being uh, given a fuller explanation The Apostle Paul now writes to Titus that it is the elder's duty, as he will say, to silence those uh, who are false teachers within the ranks of the church. And so as we think about something that the Apostle Paul wrote all the way back in chapter one, verse one, that the ministry of the local church is for God's elect, for the people of God we now see that God's people require instruction, sound instruction. They are to be taught what the Word of God says, but they all are also to be protected from those false teachers that, that strive to lead God's people astray. The illustration that's always before us as we're thinking about elder, because the Apostle Peter calls elders under shepherds, Serving under the chief shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5 is the picture of a shepherd. As he holds his rod and his staff, the rod and the staff are to gently guide the church, gently guide the sheep to streams of living water, grass of the greenest of pastures, to, to bring them to the word so that they might eat and drink into their field. Eat of the finest of things, which is Christ himself. Uh, And yet at the very same time, that rod and that staff is used to crush the will of the wolves, to chase away those false teachers that seek to find their ways into the ranks of the leadership of Christ's people. And so that is what's before us here in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Before we read it, Let us ask our God for help in understanding it. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to uh, come to your word. As we think about Nehemiah chapter 6, your faithful servant being haunted and conspired against by his enemies. As we think about Nehemiah's faithfulness, even in face of distraction and suffering to keep about the Lord's business. Uh, Lord, would we be found so faithful? Uh, Would we, no matter the oppression uh, and the lies that might circulate around us and about us uh, because we are Christ's people, let us be diligent to stay on task, uh, to go forth uh, in power and in might and in sound mind knowing that You, O Lord, are the preserver of our lives and You, O Lord, are the truth. And as You are the truth, you have spoken to us words that are true. And so now as we turn our attention to the New Testament, to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, would you, by your Holy Spirit, give us understanding? We know, Lord, that he is the one that opens our ears so that we might hear. He is the one that opens our hearts so that we might receive. He is the one who illumines our minds so that we might understand. And so we pray, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would be at work within us so that we might be molded and shaped uh, to be more like Christ. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Again, reading uh, verse 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching For shameful game, what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, as we uh, jump directly into this text, you notice that in verse ten, that uh, conjunction "for" is before you, and it it means for us to connect it to the previous statement that Paul has said in the last of the qualifications for the elder. They must have a a, a firmness, a firmness in their understanding. a a firmness in their diligence to be men of the Word, so that they might, yes, give instruction and sound doctrine, but also rebuke those who contradict it. And why do they need to do those two actions within the church? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Well, before we can even start dissecting what Paul means by this idea of members of the circumcision party, we have to understand that now it is being shown that the duty of the elders, at least here in the first couple of verses in our text, is to protect the church from men who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, So one of the things that we must understand as we come to this text is a responsibility for the elders, and this is my first main point, that we must silence rebellious and unsound teachers. Must silence rebellious and unsound teachers. You know, these first two verses here in our text are pretty eye-opening, I think, because what we see is that the culture of Crete... This wild and rambunctious island who has many different gods, many different religions, who lives according to not those gods and religion's terms, but their own terms. They sound religious. They might even look religious in their practice, but then they don't live a religious life. And even if they did live a religious life, it was a life devoted to a false god. And so the chaos of Crete has now found its way within the local churches of the island. And so, as Paul tells Titus, you need to go into these churches and you need to appoint godly, stable, word loving men in these churches, he is saying that is to contradict, is to be the complete opposite of how the churches are practicing in the current day. And so you think, what does a church look like in Crete? Well, it probably looks like a church that is insubordinate to the commands of the Scriptures. They're empty talkers. They speak a lot of fluff because what they say does not match the way they live. And they're deceivers. They attempt to lead people astray by showing them their false gods and their false ideologies, showing them how they are, to, they are to compromise the Christian faith so that they might be more understanding to the people around them. And so we have these eye-opening verses in A World Gone Wild, it seems, People are are still going to church, some sort of church, we use that word loosely at least here, but they're not going for, what we might say, the right reasons. Actually, out of these first couple of verses, there's some facts that begin to, to jump out to us as we think about this insubordination, these empty talkers and these deceivers. Because the first thing that we think is that there are people within the church who are not there because they're interested in the truth or interested in being right with God. They're simply there because that's what's expected of them. As wild and rambunctious as the island of Crete is, again, they at least give lip service to some sort of religion. And so they find themselves doing religious things like being within the local church. And they're there, and they do not have any sort of understanding of truth, nor do they want to understand the truth. They don't have any understanding of what the gospel is, and nor do they want an understanding of what the gospel is. And they don't have any sort of answer on how to stand right in the presence of God, nor do they want to. They are simply there because people go to church. And there's something like that that exists still in the Bible Belt Christianity. While I rather live in Bible Belt, South Carolina, than somewhere like where Pastor Don's from, L.A., California, because there is a, an establishment of morals, there's an establishment of, of you know, yes-ma'ams and good-ma'ams manners, Still, within nominal Christianity, there's this idea that we go to church because that's just what we do on Sunday. But there's no respect for the Lord's Day. There's no real desire to be be filled with the truth of the Scriptures or even to stand right with God. We're just there because we are supposed to be there. Pastor Don tells a sobering story. He's used this multiple times. Uh, during our Tuesday morning uh, Bible study with the men, he tells of an uncle that he has that is devoted to his church over in Texas. He goes each and every Sunday even. He goes Sunday morning and Sunday nights. He's uh, involved in the ministries of the church. And yet when he comes home, he begins to talk about the preacher. Can you believe that preacher said this? He begins to talk about the members. Can you believe those members by what that dumb preacher's saying? Well, finally, Pastor Don says, as a young teenage boy, not even a believer himself, said, Well, why in the world do you go to church? Well, that's just what we do. You get a lot of business done in the church. That's where all my clients go to church. And he began to answer every answer. He used to he he began to give every answer that made zero sense. To even an unbeliever. And, and we, we butt up against that often within our southern culture. And the island of Crete experienced that same thing. There are many there within the church who are insubordinate. They do not care for the ways of God. They do not care if they stand right in God's sight. They are rebellious people. And, and it's interesting here to me that, that the Apostle Paul uses this, well, at least the ESV translates it as insubordinate. Because there's a very distinct word in the Greek language that is often translated as rebellious, but it's, it's, it's this idea that it's a free-for-all. It's a free-for-all. And so what happens when nominal Christianity is met with godly, stable elders, well, they immediately begin to buck the authority of the church. You don't have a right to say that to me. You don't have a right to, what we might say, Bible-thump me. You don't have a right to reference that scripture or that command. You don't have a right to speak into my life or, or my family You don't have the right to say that Jesus is disappointed in me or or even call what I'm doing sin. You're a hypocrite. As soon as nominal Christianity is is met by God-loving, word-proclaiming elders, that's exactly what begins to take place. They begin to become insubordinate, rebellious. They want the Christian life to be this free for all. If my conscience isn't bothering me, then it must be okay. And beloved, it's it's a dangerous game to play when our conscience is our God. Disney and Jiminy Cricket get it all wrong. Our conscience cannot be our God. The Word must be our God and we must abide by it. But there's also these empty talkers here within the church. They Speak the right language, maybe. They they fill up your ears with fluffy religious talk. And, and yet they're empty talkers in and of the way that they speak and the way that they live do not match. And that often is revealed here within the church. We want to sound religious because we're here. Even if we're here for the wrong reasons, we want to give some sort of lip service to our Christianity, some sort of lip service to our faith, some sort of lip service on how much we love Jesus. And yet, when we go out of the church doors, we live like the world some commentators want to argue that this means that the, the people, these empty talkers, are, are trying to promote these meaningless doctrines and, and empty religious arguments. I don't think that's what they're talking about at all here. I think what we're talking about are these guys who are just giving lip service to their faith. They're just saying the right things, but their lives do not back up what has been said. You know, that's the whole reason in which Paul gives us the qualifications in verses 5 through 9. He wants our actions as elders and our words to match. He wants our profession of faith and the way that we live to go hand in hand, be intimately tied to one another. And so he says, not only are there going to be those who are rebellious within the church, but there's going to be those who are the complete opposite of the elders that you have appointed as leaders in Christ's church. Yes, there's of course, are going to be people within the church that try to promote meaningless doctrines. Of course, there's going to be people within the church that wants to debate trivial matters. Yes, there's going to be people in the church that have empty religious arguments, but it seems as if those trivial things aren't in the forefront of Paul's mind, but he's talking about men... You cannot allow men to be in leadership of the church who are empty talkers, who just give lip service to the Christian faith. Because there will be many, and we see this at the very end of verse 10, this idea of the circumcision party. This idea of there will be many people who appear very religious, but they are deceivers. You know, Jesus speaks a lot to the circumcision party, what we might call the Pharisees and the scribes in the gospel. He speaks at length to them, multiple times to them, saying that, yes, you do all the outward trappings of the Christian faith, but then your heart is wicked. Your heart is not for Me. You are doing all these things so that people will sit there and say, boy, look how holy He is. Look how religious He is. Look how close with Jesus He walks. And yet, in your heart, you are far away from Me. In the Sermon on the Mount that we just introduced a couple weeks ago on Wednesday nights during prayer meeting, Jesus will go through the gambit of, of practices that the Pharisees do, and then immediately he'll say, and you've heard the Pharisees say that you have to do it like this, but I tell you, what flows from the heart is really what matters. And so he addresses the idea of praying. The Pharisees, they pray in the streets with all of these big words so that the people might say, look how great they pray. Or they fast, and they tell everybody they're fasting, and they look like they have ripped up clothes on. And why do you have ripped up clothes on? You're hungry, you're not... It doesn't make any sense, but they're doing it because, you might say, well, look how holy He is. Jesus is saying there's going to be people like that within the church, Titus, and they are deceivers. And so, what do we do with these people who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers? If you look at verse 11, He tells us very quickly that they must be silenced. They must be silenced. And I wish we could see the, I almost want to call it aggressive. You know, Paul's a little bit of a hothead sometimes. And, and what he says is, is almost aggressive in its connotation. They must be silenced. It, it's almost as if Paul is saying, and I actually think this would be a healthy translation, but you know, scholars can't use these kind of terminologies. People in Dylan can. You must shut them up. Don't give them an inch. Don't let them say a word. Don't even put them in the nursery where the babies don't even understand what they're saying. Make them silent. They must be silent. And why is that the case? Well, because he tells us they're upsetting whole families by teaching now again, some commentators want to talk about how these families are, are local churches, and you know that might be so. They might be so, that might be so. He might be talking about different Christian families that represent different local churches within the island of Crete. There's many different cities within this island, and so that would make sense. But it actually makes more sense if you understand how Satan himself tries to attack the family and the families within the household of faith. Because what he understands here is if he, can, if he can weasel his way into the Adams family, and he can cause the Adams family to live in sin, now the Adams family sin is going to, to, to now move throughout the local church. And so it's a lot easier to, to get to one particular family rather than the whole church at large. And so he'll begin to target one family. And these false teachers, these men who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, they are targeting individual families. And they're saying, if we can get a foothold into that family, we can get a foothold into the church. And so they begin to upset whole families by their false teachings. And they're also even teaching these false things for shameful gain, you see. Not only are their words lies but they're doing it to line their pockets with money paul says and i can't think of that little phrase for shameful gain uh, and not think of these televangelists that we often see on tv especially in the early morning hours you'll see these men on tv and they'll have a hotline number running across the bottom right and they're preaching some sort of false gospel Some kind of name it, claim it. Some kind of, if you sow, they'll use some biblical language even. If you'll sow the seed and send me $500, you'll reap the benefits of miracles within your life. And growing up in the Pentecostal church, and especially with holiness, uh, grandparents, especially my grandmother, I saw how this deception dug in deep into the roots of her own life where she constantly battled with, is my faith good enough? She constantly battled if she was living holy enough to make it into the kingdom of God. Was I given enough money to these televangelists to to reap the benefits of my blessings? To receive my miracles? And so she constantly lived in a state of despair because of the shameful gain of these false teachers on TV. And so what what Paul is saying here is not only is their shameful game sinfully lining their pockets, but it causes repercussions, ripple effects throughout the church. And so you see why they must be silenced is because they're destroying the body of Christ. You cannot let them be leaders. You cannot let them serve. You definitely cannot let them teach. And one of the hard things that the the elder is, is required to do is to protect the people of God. To beat the wolves out of the sheepfold. To do whatever it takes to shut them up so that they will not pervert the gospel within the local church. But for the last few minutes that I have this morning, there are a couple of other responsibilities that the elders have within this text. Predominantly, the the conjunction lets you understand that there will be those who teach uh, doctrines that contradict the Scriptures. They must be silenced. But there will also be those who are living godless and faithless lifestyles, and that's in verses 12 and 13. Even one of the own Cretans said, These men are always lying, they're evil, and they're lazy gluttons. Whoever this prophet is, don't let him write my eulogy when I die, okay? He'll bring out all the bad news. But you understand what he's trying to get to here, don't you? They're they're living in straight contradiction to the scriptures. They're living in straight contradiction to the Scriptures. And so the elders, it says, you must rebuke them. This testimony is true, Paul says. He says, one of their own people say these things about them and I have witnessed it, and they are true. And let me tell you what the elders must do about it. They must rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. What he's saying here is that you must Rebu- rebuke and reprove. That's the language of 2 Timothy 3. Rebuke and reprove. You must call them down for the error of their actions, and then you also must teach them the right ways in which to live. You see, as, as elders, as under shepherds of Christ's church, it's not good enough to sit there and to correct... The household of faith, but you must also demonstrate how faithful living is ought to be lived out. You know, it would not be good enough if we were uh, if we were to correct one of the children, Brooks. You cannot do it that way, and then I never show them the proper way. That's not good parenting. It's not good leading the household well. And so the the elders of the local church, they must correct, yes, but they also must show what is right and what is good and what is faithful so that that might be imitated. And they also, kind of piggybacking off of uh, verses 10 and 11 and verses 14 through 16, they must rebuke false doctrine and teaching. You know, one of the things that, that, that jumps out to me here for, for Paul to seemingly move away from a first point to talk about, this, talk about this just unfaithful, godless lifestyle, for him to circle back to these false teachers means that it is of utter importance. Paul says, you must not... You must not give in to any sort of false ideology, false philosophy, false teaching that contradicts the Word of God. You must only proclaim to the pure all things that are pure. To the people of God, we must only proclaim those things that are true. We must proclaim those things that are right, that are good, And of course, that is God's Word. For those false teachers, you see in verse 16 that Paul uses some very strong language. He says, these false teachers profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works, their lifestyle, and their words do not match. And look at the the language, the adjectives in which Paul uses to describe them. They are detestable disobedient, unfit for any good work. You know, what, what Paul is saying here, and it's hard to say, but what Paul is saying here is that these false teachers are worthless to God. They're worthless. They have no role within the church. They have no role within the household of faith. They are to be silenced, and they are to be put out. One of the things that we uh, see as Paul is uh, saying his tearful goodbyes to the elders at Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to yourself, for you need to know that you are an elder, and your lifestyle and your doctrine, your profession of faith must match. So pay careful attention to yourselves. Ensure that you're walking with Jesus, but also pay attention for the wolves. Because the wolves are going to get into the sheepfold. The wolves are going to get into the church. And what are you to do with those wolves? Get them out. Get them out. They're detestable to God. They're disobedient to God. And they are worthless to God. Anything or anyone who can be described in such a way has no has no right to be uh, within the church, especially leaders within the church. And so may we not be found like these false teachers. May we profess to know God and then affirm our salvation by our works. And may we be used by God, obedient to Him in all of our ways so that we might stand for the kingdom of Christ and its eternal advancement. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray, O Lord, that this word would convict where it ought to convict, encourage where it ought to encourage. We pray, Lord, that you would use this word mightily to save sinners and to encourage and sanctify believers. For that is the promise of the scriptures, that your word goes out and not returns to us empty. And so let us see much fruit being born this time into eternity through even these words that we spent time expositing this morning.